Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a pretty uh, exciting founder, you know, obviously operating in a very, very regulated space. So we're going to be talking about that quite a bit, uh, but definitely, you know, would love to welcome our guest, not make you wait any longer and really, you know, hear, you know, his story. So without further ado, Ryan Smith, welcome to the show. Hey Alejandro, thanks for having me. So you're one of a kind, you know, grew up in New York City. I mean, you, you don't meet that many New Yorkers. I, uh, I, had, I didn't meet very many people who didn't grow up in the city until uh, later on in life. So uh, I guess it's not that normal, but it was just the, the way it happened for, for me. Absolutely. So how was, how was life growing up? Because obviously you got that influence, you know, in, in the world of entrepreneurship very early on via your family. It, it was obviously a defining experience and there's an incredible amount of exposure that I got, my, my sister got just, you know, being fortunate enough to grow up in the city, very probably different upbringing. Yeah, both my parents are entrepreneurs. And so uh, times at the dinner table at the Smith family house, we're always talking about business challenges, things that they were working through. And uh, yeah, one of my friends said they thought when we were growing up, it was like a bunch of adults that just happened to live together. Um, and that was that was a big part of our upbringing. And do you think that growing up in New York City, I mean, such a vibrant um, you know, city, no? And, and, and obviously there's a lot of business, there's a lot of uh, ambition, people coming from all over the world to New York City to really make it happen. So, so how do you think that that pushed you and, and that gave you the drive? The energy for me is I just, I love it so much. And it's such a big part of, I think, how I approach challenges, how I think even our, our culture at LeafLink, you know, moves quickly and executes thoughtfully. And uh, I think it's a, it's a huge driver of, yeah, it's a huge motivator in, in how we do the things we do. And possibilities and the closeness to such amazing people all in one place it's incredibly valuable so why did you decide to go and study international relations and philosophy it was a i went to a liberal arts school upstate new york and that those were two things that uh that interested me i'm i i grew up by the united nations in manhattan so we've always had a very uh, diverse i mean different floors of the building i grew up in were, were different embassies and could you know hear three languages by the time we got to the lobby. So always interested in international relations. I'm I'm also a, a dual citizen with Italy. So we've we've traveled a lot. And on the philosophy side, I just always loved. I think I've always been a bit of a debater and 
enjoy going back and forth on on topics and, and getting deep there made sense, but uh, not a lot of they don't you know, line up perfectly. I think to the my life since. So you always obviously had always little projects, but um, but while you were in university, you know one a little bit more tangible, you know, came about. So tell us about Eco Campus. So the university that I was at uh, had a a. a a goal that by I think it was 2025 or maybe even 2020 to be uh, uh, eco or break even on CO2 emissions. And so we created a company that allowed for an imported tree-free paper uh, to sell to different, you know, departments at the, at the university. Started with a friend of mine. It was a small company, very much like a student led enterprise. And, and we had our, our, our dorm rooms were basically the, warehouses for you know, hundreds of reams of paper. I had a, a 18 wheeler pull up to the house where we lived to drop off, you know, all these pallets. And, and it was a good experience running inventory, doing sales, bookkeeping, just basic things. Um, nothing that would really have scaled after school, but we sold it to a few other students. It actually was sold like four or five times after us. as just I think, a great experience for young entrepreneurs to have and running a small business. So this was definitely the the first time that somehow I mean you you were able to have that exposure and and see that that cycle of um, you know building you know scaling and then you know perhaps say sell it or give it to someone else but but what did you really learn here about building and scaling something I mean what was your biggest takeaway moving forward like moving ahead and and execution is just like the only thing that matters there's a million mistakes that you can make and. I think sitting around and thinking about what you want to do ultimately produces nothing. There's a balancing, you know, especially as, as Leafing gets bigger, that we think a lot about on being thoughtful and strategic in the actions we take. Uh, but when you're starting something in, in the first steps, the only thing that, that's important is getting to the next step and, and, and executing. And I think that's where a lot of things really break down because of the insecurities people have or they are just getting too in their head about something, but I think bringing things to the world in just some form and moving forward to continue to grow them is just, that's the only thing that matters. Otherwise, we're, you know, we're really just talking. Absolutely. It's all about doing the walking and you definitely did because opportunity came knocking again. Trupoli, what happened? Growing up in the city, my, my family's in real estate. It's a very old school industry. I was familiar with the inefficiencies that were there. Uh, I started a another company that we did raise a small round for after school. It was a small team of less than 10, but it was basically a way for general partners to manage limited partners virtually, similar to like an Intralinks uh, or um, it was right around the time when crowdfunded equity was, was exciting and people were talking about democratizing investment through the Jobs Act. And so we started a company, I mean, I, it was just me, I started a company that uh, raised some money and, and hired a few people, and we began signing clients. It was really a SaaS offering with a potentially marketplace component down the line once we had enough clients on the SaaS side that were managing their LPs on the, on the platform. And uh, we began signing clients up. After that round closed, had a meeting with one particularly large fund that was publicly traded, publicly traded REIT, that effectively offered to buy us uh, in, in, in a sales meeting. And we ended up moving forward with that deal. Can share more there, but that was the, the 18 months after graduation for me. So obviously, I mean, this is pretty unbelievable. So you're raising money and then all of a sudden a, a meeting that you're supposed to go there and raise money ends up being in, a, in an acquisition. I mean, 
Can you tell us a little bit more about, about how that happened? We, we were actually trying to sell them the software. It wasn't even a, a capital raise meeting. So we were pitching this company that had you know just been through a ton of growth, and we were looking to bring them on to the SaaS platform, had like a 15-slide deck, got to the third slide, and um, one of the founders there said, well, just stop. I have 10 questions for you. And the last one was, why would I invest in the watchmaker if I have to pay the retail price for the watch? And I said, yeah, maybe you should just buy the watchmaker. And he goes, effing exactly. Send me a number. <laughs> send me a number by Sunday and we'll, we'll bring your team on and we'll build this here and integrate the software. And uh, we came to a number that, that made sense and ultimately ended up being a pretty fortunate outcome. Uh, spent about a year there and left a day after that year to move on and build LeafLink. But it was a good a first experience out of school. Very cool. I mean, was there a, from, because I, I guess from every single journey, from every single company, I mean, there's like a, a really major lesson, you know, obviously there's many, but perhaps a major one that you know for sure that you're going to implement, you know, once again, when you go at it again. And as they say, you know, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So you did go at it again with LeafLink, but I'm sure that there was one lesson that you knew that you would absolutely implement on your next business. What was that? The biggest thing I learned and the reason why I would do that deal with the Trupoli deal over again was that the people you bring onto the team is just everything. And I don't think we, I had anywhere near the perspective, not that I don't have a lot still to learn, but the perspective of the team we brought on then was you know nowhere near what I think we would have needed longer term to really grow that business out into something significant. And And a lot of the, frankly, the cultural things that I picked up while we were at the acquiring company were just things that I don't think that I didn't want to be part of the story, the next chapter in, in our story. And so I getting exposure to that, you know, more traditional kind of finance world was a clear, you know, version of, of a reality I didn't want to build uh, when we were starting fresh again. And, and that played into, I think, LeafLink and the incredible team we built here and, and growth story over the last five years so then let's talk about that uh, process of because i mean once you've been at it for a few times then you know i'm sure it was interesting that that journey or that process of of really coming up with the idea and then going about bringing it to life so so what was that you know journey like i've always loved marketplaces back when i was growing up in the city my parents would say that Uh, things would go missing in the house and and they, it's probably now in Ryan's PayPal account because I'd sold it on eBay or something. And uh, and my co-founder, Zach, was actually at eBay right before we started LeafLink. And so B2C marketplaces, I mean, there's there really is one for everything, uh, antique furniture, shoes. But then you think about B2B marketplaces, there's just not very many of them. And there were not a ton of comps to look at as like what we wanted to create on a B2B marketplace in a new vertical. And then in terms of the vertical, the cannabis industry five years ago was so much earlier, and we thought there could be a really exciting opportunity to define versus disrupt this supply chain just from the very beginning. And let's go, basically, let's go out to Colorado and see and interview whoever we can get meetings with on how they do ordering. And ultimately, those two things really came together through Zach and, and, and my research to what is now LeafLink today. So what was, the, what was the founding thing? How did you go about, you know, putting together the band? 
Well, so Zach and I uh, started, we closed the first, you know, the angel round, raised a million dollars at the end of uh, 2015 in December. We brought in our first hire in, in January, who's uh, actually still with us, and she's played very many roles, but it was, it was her. We had uh, two, two engineers and, um, and a salesperson, and so there was like six in the group. And we were all basically doing everything uh, at the at the very beginning and trying to learn really quickly at the same time. Fortunately, my co-founder uh, Zach is is also our CTO. He's a developer and was able to iterate on the product as we were learning and getting really close with the clients. But the way we built the product was physically. I think I've I've probably stayed in every Airbnb, every basement in Denver over that first eighteen months because we were with our clients in person at the warehouses, at the manufacturing facilities, going on uh, sales trips in their vehicles to understand what they, what they had to deal with every day to, to grow their businesses. And so we just stayed super close to clients. We, we still today see them very much as our partners. And although the platform has grown to over 7,000 companies now are, are transacting on it, it was really us getting, being physically there in person with them on how everything got started. So for the people that are listening, what ended up being the business model? How do you guys make money? We have a few revenue lines, but the, the primary solution that people come to us for is our B2B marketplace. So if you're a licensed cannabis business, uh, let's say you're a retailer, you're a purchasing manager at a retail location, you need to purchase 30 to 50 different brands every couple of weeks to stock your shelves. Normally, you're texting, emailing, phone calling all the reps from all these different companies, and there's probably two or three new companies every week being, you know, founded in the space. Uh, and then on the on the buy side, on the sell side, there's a whole order management lifecycle to 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 take care of that was being done on whiteboards and Google Sheets and, and more text messages. So what we built was a purchasing experience for that purchasing manager that feels very much like a business to consumer marketplace that we're all used to using on our own. And they can then create a unified shopping cart across very many brands in a compliant way, hit submit, and then the orders are sent to each of those different sellers. And then there's a, a backend software solution that helps them manage the lifecycle of the order, inventory, accounts, data reporting, CRM. Uh, and so we originally were charging a flat fee to sell side companies to be on the platform. Since then, we've launched uh, an ads data product, a payment solution, and we have a logistics network as well, which we could talk more about. But ultimately, it all plays into our vision of to be a B2B wholesale marketplace. We've fulfilled this triangle concept, which is liquidity, payments, and logistics. And that very much is you know what we're all used to doing on B2C marketplaces. We pick what we want, we pick how we pay, we pick how we get it. Uh, it's incredibly more challenging in the cannabis space because it's regulated, but uh, that's, that's where we landed. So how was that day like when when you got the first order in? We were at uh, we were at a we were at our WeWork in, uh, in in the southern tip of Manhattan in the financial district and in a suite for five people and we had a disco ball that would go off every time an order was placed and this was in March 2016 and I mean we're doing like eighty thousand orders a month now but back then we were really holding hands with all the orders that were going through just to get customers new new customers comfortable with the system and the disco ball went off and we all looked around like was that you was that you there's only like yeah four or five of us in the office and it, when it became clear that it just happened like someone just went on and placed an order without us holding their hand through it uh we everyone jumped up there a little bit of dancing went on and it was like wow there's uh 
this is this is a special moment. There's something here, and and then we were really off to the races. That's amazing. So, what is it like to operate in a in a regulated uh, market? Because obviously here you have a few things. No, so you have one, you're you, you're building something from nothing. Two, you have to build a marketplace, so you have the issues on the supply and the demand. And then three, you're operating in a very regulated uh, space now. So I mean, it's like very tricky. So how did you go about that? It's incredibly challenging. And because the industry, at least at the federal level, starts at no, it then trickles down to every state, every sometimes ter- every different uh, county having its own rules or its own version of the rules that we have to be respectful of. And our whole approach really has always been, let's say, really close with regulators. They are our friends. Everyone's trying to figure out this industry to be compliant and safe and above board. It's a large lift, and and so yeah, there's a lot, a lot to track. Being that it's regulated, there are more challenging things. I mean, we can't just plug in PayPal or Stripe to do payments, or use FedEx or USPS to do shipping, and so we have to create these things from the ground up in a totally novel way. And so it's 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 challenging. It makes makes our business more complex than I think many other 120 person Series B companies. But uh, that I think is the opportunity because we continue to execute and figure these things out and they really hypercharge each other. The the payments hypercharges logistics, vice versa, and to the liquidity in the marketplace. And so it's it's challenging, but it gives us the opportunity to look at other industries and say, well, what works really well in in pharmaceuticals or liquor or uh, coffee? And what can we bring into this supply chain and virtualize and make better for our clients from day one? Uh, and that's that's a part of a whole large part of the thinking we've done on creating the product. And you were alluding to the Series B financing cycle. So, so in that regard, how much capital have you guys raised to date? We've raised uh, fifty million dollars in equity. We closed our Series B a little over a year ago with with Thrive Capital. They've been great partners. Uh, on the that's all on the equity side. On the debt side, about two months ago, we closed a two hundred fifty million dollar debt facility, which was one of the largest uh, such transactions to happen in the cannabis space to date and obviously this is uh, especially when you guys started you know a space that it was not that appealing to um to the venture to the venture investors so so how was that i mean how tough was that and how, how challenging was it to really raise money many funds really it, it's it, it it's it can be challenging i think it's even more challenging if you're as they say a plant touching company so if you're uh, growing or selling a brand or a retailer LeafLink is a tech company. We, we don't touch the plant or the product. Uh, and so that makes it a little bit easier for us. But yeah, many funds have vice clauses uh, that don't allow them even to invest in liquor. And so cannabis is totally out of the question. And at this point, we're, we're used to it. I, we, you know, we ask that question, we're getting to know funds better. And even if they say we can't touch it, in the back of my mind, I think that's all right. I mean, eventually you will. Uh, when when the you know federal laws change down the line, and we'd love to educate you why now it's we think it's an interesting space and something to keep your eye on. Uh, but the the partners that we've been lucky enough to work with, we were there for for our seed round for our Series A. We raised from Lara, Lara Hippo, Nosara, and Thrive over those three rounds. We were their first cannabis deals, and so we were very willing. I think you have to be to help educate the funds and share everything we know about the space, what we don't know, how we navigate, what could be gray waters to our best, best of our ability at times. And, and we're fortunate to work with them. And I think that's part of the responsibility we have as a company 
given the the amount of the industry that now sits on our platform to help the whole industry mainstream and get to the next level. And talking about the next level, so what what do you think? Uh, where do you think the the cannabis space is is heading as a whole? Laws always seem to be behind what the population thinks, and I mean, there's almost you know over thirty mark or over thirty states now that have some form of medical or recreational, with just under half of those being recreational markets. There's another five or six on the ballot in November. And so we're getting pretty close to half the states, probably in the next 12, 18 months, are going to be recreationally legal. And so I, I think if, if the federal government had moved faster earlier on, I think they could have set up a standard for how the supply chain was to operate uh, and then really you know, perpetuated that out across all these new markets before they went live. But now I think what's, I mean, who knows, whoever, whatever happens in November, I could see good and bad for the industry. You're honestly on both sides, regardless of my feelings as just an American. But um, now that there's such precedent in so many markets of three, four, six years of law on how to regulate these, this industry, I think when it does, it will eventually go legal federally. It's just in what form it happens. I think it will end up being pretty light touch at the federal level, and they'll then you know take their percentage of the taxes that that they need, uh, and then defer to states to continue probably running something quite similar to how it looks today. But there could be interesting things that happen, like cross uh, cross state transactions. Those are those are currently not possible. Uh, there's a few other exciting moments that might be soon to come. But uh, but yeah, I mean, we live in a world where it could be a tweet away from. It's all changing or, or just an election that, you know, we're 60 days out from now. So we're staying close to follow it. But I mean, hard to say when these things we've been saying the last five years that we think it might go legal in the next 18 months. But we've been wrong a couple of times. So we're just moving quickly to, to you know, pace against it. And talking about events that can impact, you know, the space and, and perhaps your guys' business. I mean, let's talk about COVID. How would you say that COVID has impacted the business and the industry? Big moment for, for our space. Uh, we, it's still federally legal, but the industry turned a corner when we when it was deemed essential. It was something I think quite profound that we'll look back on in five years. To go from an illegal space to a regulated space to an essential space is it's pretty unreal and, and, and very significant. As a result of that, we on LeafLink at least have hit some of our end of year goals on transactions through our marketplace. So one of our main KPIs is our gross merchandise value. The, the number of dollar value of transactions that go in the, through the marketplace. And our stretch goal was $3 billion uh, at an annual run rate by the end of December this year. And we hit that in July. And so we've seen numbers you know, north of you know, 40% higher than what we were even projecting. And I think a lot of that is people thought, you know, in a down re recession, down economic time or during recession, liquor sales seem to go up will cannabis be the same? And it seems now, well, yes, it is. And we have the data to prove it, which is interesting because these are all things that the industry is encountering for the first time, but the resilience of the space and, and how quickly it's grown and all the new markets that are soon to pop up, we're, we're really excited about. And I'm sure that, you know, really it has tested uh, your guys' growth capabilities, no? So I, I guess from a growth perspective and, and, and achieving those numbers that you were alluding to, I mean, it's a... It's amazing rapid growth. So how, how are you able to really accommodate that or, or what's the mindset to, to tackle you know, a situation like this? 
the, the hardest part of, of COVID and the growth we've probably been through is just the work from home challenge, right? Like going from one day we're all together to the next, we're all remote. There's, and that's not unique. I think there's obviously so many companies that are navigating that right now. On the, on the product itself, a lot of, you know, there weren't very many new states that opened up this in 2020. A lot opened up in 2019. I think a huge amount are going to come online in 2021. And so for us, it was really more about deepening, further deepening engagement in markets where we are already alive. And so in terms of on the technological side, we're always upgrading the, pro, the platform and adding new features and solutions. But I mean, it, 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 because we're operating you know, in the cloud, we can scale really quickly with the needs of additional transactions and traffic. I think it's more just keeping the team aligned as we've almost doubled in size in the last year. And now everyone being virtual where there's, there's more challenges to navigate just given the world we're currently all in. So let's say you go to sleep tonight, Ryan, and you wake up in a world, let's say five years later, so I mean, tremendous news, and you wake up in a world where the vision of LeafLink is fully realized. What does that world look like? It's in line with our, it would be in line with our goal of creating the comp that we couldn't find originally on a B2B marketplace that really powers the supply chain. And so our part of our dream is in five years, we would love for other industries that are more traditional that it's going to be hard to you know, change the behavior of how those supply chains operate. Instead of looking at the cannabis space as the Wild West and rapidly changing, growing, we're looked at as one of the most virtualized tech-first supply chains uh, that has come of age and that, that these industries then want to emulate. And so like, let's learn from the cannabis industry. Let's become more like what has been created here on this virtualized supply chain, which, which of course then sits on LeafLink's technology and marketplace as the foundation for that to be even possible. Very cool. And one of the questions that I typically ask the guests that come on the show is, if you had that chance, I mean, now you're on your third company, remarkable uh, entrepreneurial journey that, that you've had so far, Ryan. Thanks. If you had that, that moment to really have that ear of that younger Ryan, you know, that was maybe thinking about launching that first business, you know, and, and, and you were able to give one piece of advice before launching a business. What would you say to that younger self and why knowing what you know now? Partners, finding the right partners is, is probably something that I've been very focused on learning the last few years. But up until, frankly, up until probably, you know, three or four years ago, everything that I was doing was kind of, it was, it was myself doing them, you know, help, had, I had help from others, of course, but I, I didn't, I wasn't bringing in people that necessarily were just at a totally next level of specialization experience, which we're very much doing now at LeafLink. And I didn't know the importance of that. Uh, so I probably, that probably would have been my advice to, to do, keep doing what you're doing, bring more people into the fold and, and, you know, find the right people to depend on and build with. Uh, still learning that now, but that could have been helpful to, to know earlier. Amazing. So Ryan, for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Best way to reach us is through, uh, through our website, www.leaflink.com. Uh, I'm also at ryan.smith at leaflink.com. So feel free to reach out there. If you're in the cannabis space, happy to show you what we, what we're building. If you're not already on the platform and interested in learning more about the industry, we're you know, love to be that resource to you as well. Amazing. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thanks, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. 
If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.